listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cast through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello and welcome to a very merry and joyous Season 3, Episode 14 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. And I'm your holiday-spirited co-host, Casey Golden. Welcome, Retail Razor Show listeners, to Retail's favorite Jingle Bell-filled podcast for product junkies, commerce technologists, and everyone else in retail and retail tech alike. And if our whimsy-filled intro didn't quite clue you in yet, yes, this is our special 2023 holiday season edition episode. Tis the season. So the big question, I'm sure, that is on everyone's mind right now, did you start your holiday shopping yet? Mm, Yeah, I'm guessing that any listeners or viewers that caught our holiday special show last year, they probably know what I'm going to say. You haven't started, have you? No, not really. No, no. (laughs) But I I do have a part of a list. Does that count? Maybe? I give you a couple points for at least starting something that has to do with the holiday season. It's a start, right? Does that count? (laughs) Well, I'm not going to say anything about it at this point because I'm actually running a bit behind for the first time Mm. Uh in my entire life. So... (laughs) (laughs) What do you think this says about retail sales this season? Well, that is a great question. Uh, I'll even give you another one to ponder about that. Will this season see a big e-commerce boost or an e-commerce bust compared to in-store sales uh, versus last year? That's a good one. I think the answer is that it's going to depend on how consumers feel about spending this season, for starters. One thing I keep repeating over and over is that uh, consumers have not been very predictable at all since the pandemic. I mean, let's face it, half the surveys that come out in these past years that that ask consumers about their spending habits, they end up not holding true, do they? Because they're all asking consumers to predict where they're going to be spending months down the road. And everyone has an expectation for that. But it seems like things keep changing around for all of us as consumers. And and then sometimes they hold back, sometimes they don't. It's very true. But another factor is that we see a lot of variability from one product segment to the other. And have you noticed how comps keep changing which year they're comparing? (laughs) I mean, is it year over year, year over two year, year over three year? And to get comps that are meaningful to compare, is it time? Exactly. It it sounds like we, like I'm sure most of our listeners, have a lot of questions that need answering. So we can talk about expectations for this holiday season before we even think about what 2024 is going to bring. (laughs) So Ricardo, maybe we should bring back some experts to the show to help us answer these questions. Maybe some experts who have been on the show before helped us cut through the clutter in sales data and forecast. Why, yes, Casey, that is an excellent idea. I mean, you'd think we'd plan this ahead or something, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Can't even plan my Christmas list right now. (laughs) Absolutely. So to help us out here, we invited Roshan Junja, the head of retail for Square, and Andrew Lipsman, principal analyst for retail and e-commerce at Insider Intelligence, to share with us their analysis and insights from recently released holiday reports. 
I am really looking forward to this discussion. It's not your average everyday sales prediction podcast episode, is it? Well, speaking of positivity, I'm feeling lots of positive thoughts around the holiday season, and I'm thinking we should jump right into it and figure out if these vibes are vibing for holiday or misplaced. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Let's jump right into our discussion with Roshan Jinja and Andrew Lipsman. Welcome, Andrew and Roshan, to our holiday special episode. Thanks, Casey. Great Thank to be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. So excited to take a deep dive into what we're expecting to see happen this holiday season, especially with Black Friday and Cyber Monday just around the corner. Will retailers end the year with a big bang of top line revenue or will everyone's bottom lines feel like Grinch pinch their holiday festivities? And this is quite the holiday treat to have you both with us today. Uh, each of your organizations has, of course, recently released a holiday special report. Andrew, I know eMarketer Insider Intelligence recently released your holiday shopping 2023 forecast. And I love the subtitle uh, to that report that I, makes me really eager to dive into details. The uh, brick and mortar and e-commerce will battle for retail channel supremacy. And Roshan, uh, the Square and Afterpay report the festive forecast for 2023. I know based on surveying consumers, merchants on their outlook for the season, really had some great insights in there for retailers to leverage and, and planning for the season. I'm looking forward to diving into those details, uh, especially around what we're all collectively thinking in terms of consumer sentiment that uh, may have sprung out from any of the findings and, and forecasts that you've both done and, and how that compares. And for any of our listeners that want all the details on these reports, we'll have the links to both of those in our show notes. So let's jump right in. And start with the point about sentiment. For both Roshan and, and, and Andrew, to what extent does the current assessment of seller and consumer sentiment align with optimistic forecasts? And is there a clear indication of a positive outlook in this evaluation? Yeah, so I can take a swing at that, uh, Casey. So the Square and Afterpay festive forecast, what we did was we pulled both consumers and sellers to get a pulse on their sentiment leading up to the holidays. And we uncovered how consumers are planning, spending, and saving this holiday season, along with how sellers are preparing their operations. So what we found was that for consumers, they do have a positive outlook ahead of the shopping period. About a third, so 34%, claim that they're going to spend more this holiday season compared to last. Uh, and that's especially true for millennials. They plan to spend more. About 44% of them uh, plan to spend more. And compare that with just 21% of boomers and 28% of the post-war generation. So just to compare, to give you an idea, last year's festive forecast that we ran said that 36% plan to spend more. So I would say the sentiment is about similar to where we were at this time next last year. Now, on the other hand, 71% of business owners expect sales to increase this holiday season. So we know the holidays oftentimes feel like it's the Super Bowl of the retailing season. So sellers are clearly uh, gearing up to draw more customers in. And so just a reminder on how we uh, gauge consumer sentiment, we look in factors including how they feel about their financial goals, how they feel about their monthly uh, expenses, and, and other factors like that. And Ricardo, we, we also have a similarly optimistic forecast. So our, our numbers were, we were expecting 4.5% retail, total retail growth this holiday season, uh, about 3% growth at brick and mortar, and back to double digits, 11.3% for e-commerce. There are other 
forecasts that were out in the marketplace. I think most of them have kind of settled into the three to 4% range. Mm -hmm. A couple of given ranges, I think as high as 4.6%. So we were at least at the high end of any range. And we pegged it to a specific number that I think was fairly optimistic. What's behind that? The, the most important variable in consumer spending is the job market. So are people employed? If people are employed, they have discretionary spending. Not everybody, right? There's some people are always a bit stretched for the dollar and they're sensitive to inflation. And so they may be more deal seeking as a result of that, things of that nature. But broadly speaking, there are dollars sloshing around the economy. And as long as people are not feeling negative about where things are headed, then they'll, they'll tend to spend. So the fact that there, there's kind of a, an upswing in consumer sentiment suggests they will spend. And the biggest question mark for me really is to what extent will they spend in certain categories where demand has been pulled so far ahead from the pandemic that like maybe people just are not going to buy those TVs or laptops as they have in the past. But in terms of feeling good about spending, I think that positive sentiment is there. Yeah, I think this is an, an interesting point because if you were someone who just probably watches the news on a regular basis, you, you might be thinking that the sentiment is going in the other direction versus what I think you're both kind of finding from these reports that the consumer sentiment maybe isn't as bad as people might think it is and is actually trending positively. One of the things I, I always curious about with this is it seems like in recent years, especially, it's been more of a challenge than in the past in trying to gauge and predict that consumer sentiment and that whether it's as simple as people are responding a little more aspirationally to surveys and, and when they think ahead to what they're going to do, but then when the time actually comes, they act differently and it hasn't quite been the same. But I, I think it's interesting that you're, you're both saying very similarly here that there's reason to feel good about wh how, what the season will look like. Yeah, I think that's right. The one thing I'd, I'd definitely reinforce, I think what Andrew is saying, which is, and to your point, Ricardo, a lot of folks will talk about what they intend to do. But a lot of times as the event gets closer, it's really about how situations unfolding. Uh, and mm -hmm. so especially given more positive trends in the labor market uh, recently, that does seem like it could be a, a pretty strong mm -hmm. indicator. And then inflation it, also is coming down. Mm -hmm. So like that's right. a big thing. La if you go back to last year, there's a lot more negative sentiment and consumers mm -hmm. grumbling about it. And, and yet the overall numbers for growth were, were pretty good, historically speaking. Yes, now they were getting less for their dollar. So you have to kind of factor in the inflation effects. But, you know, there has been relief uh, across most consumer categories um, from an inflation standpoint, where it's now, you know, in somewhere more, more rational terms. Um, so I, I think just the consumers feeling better about that. And, and again, the, the jobs market is strong. And so that's going to fuel mm -hmm. most of it. Are, are there any trending impacts from just, just general global events that we're all seeing unfold on the news that you think could either create a change or, or alter any of that sentiment? And, and if so, what are your thoughts around, you know, what, what retailers and businesses can do to kind of alter their strategy if necessary? Yeah, sure. So I'll take a swing at this one. I think there's a few key insights that, that we pulled out. Uh, and really, I would bucket them in, in three main categories. The first one is that omni-channel uh, is still super important. The second would be the spending that we're describing here. I think it has more of a strategic spending aspect to it. And the third thing I talk about is AI. So obviously that's been all over the news uh, and I definitely see it playing a factor here as well. So just briefly on omni-channel, consumers are going mobile. They're leaning on their shopping apps, about 31% of them, as well as blogs and forums, wish lists for gifting inspiration. But they, 
real life shopping experiences are still really key. Almost half. So 49% of shoppers get their ideas through word of mouth. And so creating some positive buzz is going to be still a really important thing for uh, retailers to think about. 39% of consumers we found still are finding inspiration in store. So, so really balancing omnichannel strategy is key. Mobile is a very popular choice for consumers, especially the younger demographic, right? They're more tech savvy and they want the ability to discover, explore and shop from brands right there, the palm of their hand, you know, where they're already scrolling. Uh, and so accessibility and convenience is paramount there, but consumers still want choice. And that's a key point that's been resonating over the past couple of years, post-pandemic. They want choice in how they shop. So you have to make sure you're operating both online and in person. Now on that spending point, so a good chunk of consumers, like we talked about, do plan to spend more because it's the nature of the holidays to celebrate, but you've got 66% of them planning to spend the same or less than last year. And so strategic spending has got to be top of mind for consumers. Discounting is always a popular topic around the holidays, right? So yeah, we do expect discounting to be huge this season. We found though that 72% of uh, retailers don't really plan to shift their discounting strategy all that much. Sellers do intend to average offer an average discount of 15%. And that's consistent with what we've seen in prior years. But sellers might have to reevaluate that strategy in real time and see how they can adapt. So again, to Andrew's point about things are evolving on the ground. As the holiday season unfolds, we expect that discounting is going to be a, an important lever for retailers. Um, buy now, pay later is important for strategic spending. We found 21% of consumers would consider using buy now, pay later to make holiday budgets stretch further. And we know it's essential to offer consumers different options for flexibility. So lastly, I'll just touch on AI. I think, and I think many agree that AI is going to be fundamental in helping sellers work smarter, not harder this season to attract more customers and operate efficiently. On the consumer side of it, we know that with Gen Z, they're leaning into AI to optimize their shopping. So our report found that 24% of consumers have used a virtual assistant, for example, to help with shopping over the past 12 months. We know that Gen Z at 36% and millennials about the same at 35% are adopting AI at the fastest rates. So they're using that for product information, for deal hunting. Uh, it's clear that these generations are getting comfortable with using AI and seeing the benefits it brings. And then on the seller side, what Square and Afterpay found is that sellers are using AI to optimize their operations. So 23% of Square sellers, for example, plan to leverage AI-enabled tools to help them operate more efficiently and to sell effectively. And to the, to the point about to global events, so, you know, what could happen? I, so my, my short answer is I don't see it having a, a meaningful impact on the holiday season at all. That things can always change. But the, the two things I would look for is their potential for supply chain disruptions. I think most of the supply chain stuff for the holiday season has already happened. We're into November, obviously. So that doesn't seem particularly likely. And then are there, does it cause gas prices to increase? And we haven't seen that. And, you know, that if you see gas prices spike, that does take a lot of spending, disposable income, discretionary spending out of the consumer economy. So those are things to watch. But I would say right now, it, it's not something that's likely to impact the season overall. Is there, I mean, with all these different factors and whether we think they may or may not have an impact, but I'm just thinking particularly to something, Roshan, you brought up about the consumers using these new tools. Is there any reason to think that Black Friday and Cyber Monday might diminish in significance this season versus the past? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We The timing of the holiday season is always something that people pay close eye on because, of course, we want to get a little bit ahead of where people are going to be. So in our 
report, what we found is that the bulk of Americans plan to have all of their holiday shopping done in November. And that's 5% up from last year. So, you know, that's a decent amount that are kind of pulling ahead some of that shopping. But we know that Black Friday, Cyber Monday is still very significant. It's making up a good piece of the pie when it comes to holiday shopping. Last year, we saw businesses offered on average 21% of a discount during that Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend, which is pretty standard across retail. But like I was saying earlier, Square Data continues to show in these surveys that the discounting is rarely going to change heavily in any one direction. So sellers will continue to be consistent with discounting. And as a consequence, I think consumers know that deals happen across the entirety of the holiday season, right? And so especially because we're not seeing such a supply chain constraint, and we think that the, the supply will still be there, those deals are going to continue to happen. The availability of the products will continue to be there. And so Black Friday, Cyber Monday isn't the end all be all, right? Uh, and everything has to be done in that critical window. So like I said, every year consumers report they're going to get their holiday shopping done earlier. And that might just be because the holiday season has extended beyond just December with Cyber Week really kicking things off. But I would say still prepare for a bulk of shopping to continue to take place through December. And if anyone's like me, notoriously late shopping for all your holiday gifting, you can expect cramming right before the holidays. This weekend, I was bombarded with so many Black Friday deals, like advertising, mm-hmm. that I literally had a, a semi-panic attack that I, I needed to look at the calendar because I was like, wait, we're not yeah. there yet, are we? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I had so many emails in my inbox from retailers on, on Black Friday specials. I had the same exact same thought. I'm like, wait, wait, didn't we just cross we're, over we're into November? Am I late? <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. Dropping my kids off to school this morning, it was I was hearing Christmas music playing from some of the cars <laughs> driving by. So it it feels early. I support that. <laughs> yeah. Now it's it's interesting how this has actually changed since the pandemic. The mm-hmm. the so for years and years, this will be my 19th season co- covering holiday e-commerce, and there are headlines that happen every year, and they used to drive me crazy. Oh, holiday shopping is starting earlier and earlier. Every year, people said that. I go. Just because you see decorations pulled out at retailers earlier and earlier does not mean consumers start shopping. Like mm-hmm. the evidence was that consumers really kicked into gear around Cyber 5, that Black Friday, mm-hmm. Cyber Monday period. There has been a change that is now baked in since the pandemic, which is that we have a major promotional holiday happening in mid-October with, I'll just call it Prime Day 2 because I feel like they're going to rebrand it every year and I'm never yeah. going to remember the name. So Prime Day 2. So... That does people get holiday shopping done early. And then more importantly, it sends them a signal and, and they go into active shopping mode in October and into November in a way that a lot of people didn't who used to wait till Cyber 5. So what does that mean for the Cyber 5 period? And again, here's another headline that, that drives me crazy. Every year you will see some headline blare and say, Black Friday and Cyber Monday no longer important. Um, incorrect. Okay. Slightly less important than in the past because some of that demand has gotten pulled forward. Um, we actually saw every year Cyber Monday and, or the Cyber 5 period in e-commerce gained share for years and years up until 2019 where it peaked at 20% of all holiday e-commerce sales for just that five-day period. Since then, it has ticked down as a percentage every year to this year we're expecting it to be about 15.5%. So it's becoming less important. That said, Cyber Monday, we expect to be the biggest shopping day of the year online, thir- over 13 billion. And then Black Friday will surpass 10 billion online for the first time. So huge spending days, just not, not with crazy growth or growth above the overall e-commerce benchmark like they used to. So circling back to that 10 billion, it's a big number. 
How is the dynamic of shopping apps and mobile commerce and in-store experiences being transformed with the shift of omni-channel being standard expectation? Are there any distinct distinctions or preferences you see between Gen Z and millennials with the landscape changing? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. All right, I was going to say that uh, you know that that those large numbers, that 10 billion, I think that's made possible exactly by the emergence of these apps and mobile commerce. Right? It's like the ability for everyone to converge all at once on on these big deals. So we know consumers crave that convenience and that choice, but we also know that omni-channel is still king. We're seeing data that consumers want the option to discover and shop online, but maybe pick up their items in store or visit the brick and mortar uh, to complete uh, that transaction or, or look for companion products. And so we see consumer shopping across channels. It's important to make sure that everything is synced up so that your item listings or your inventory are accessible in all these different channels that you're selling on. We're seeing a lot of mixed-use retailers on the rise, for example. We know that 9% of American retailers self-identify as mixed-use, and that's a measure to alleviate some of the risk where they can kind of hedge their bets selling multiple different types of things, products and services, to maximize revenue. Think about cheese shops, wine shops, chocolate that sell subscriptions. Here's an interesting one, right? We, we know that businesses that sold subscriptions saw approximately 22% of their revenue come from that sales channel, which is pretty substantial. So we know that 74% more sellers this year are planning to offer subscriptions, and that's both in-person online. And so I think there's also retailers offering classes, 11% increase in, in class offerings, 10% increase in ticket sales. Uh, so really a lot of experiential. And I think you know what this speaks to is the interest in standing out. Uh, there's a sea of sameness out there in terms of a lot of what these deals are. Uh, and so the ability to actually offer something unique and experience unique products uh, is definitely something uh, that we're seeing uh, in the in the data. But then underpinning all of this is the younger consumers, right? Leaning heavily into digital, particularly Gen Z, they grew up with social media. And so we also know they prefer to communicate with text and with email versus picking up the phone to talk to businesses. And so we know conversational commerce is a really important solution. Many businesses seeing the benefits there. It's two-way communication via SMS. You can chat about things, buy directly in your text message. And so we also see AI enabling the conversational commerce, right? So that's a very powerful place to use this technology to streamline this now preferred means that consumers want to communicate with you. So 16% of our square sellers we found this year actually plan to use those types of messaging tools. I would echo the, the importance of click and collect, the overall importance, mm -hmm. growing importance of the mobile channel. We we project that mobile as a channel will account for slightly less than 10% of total retail sales. So not a huge percentage of spending, but it will account for 30% of the overall growth contribution. So said another way, if you are not maintaining your fair share in, in the migration of dollars from the other channels into mobile commerce, you stand to see your, your top line growth really take a hit. And Whoever has mobile apps on the phone disproport as a retailer disproportionately benefits. Amazon has particularly benefited because that's the app that's, that's on a lot of people's home screens. So Amazon has somewhat a little bit less than 40% of total e-commerce sales. It's not well known what their mobile commerce share is, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's 60% or higher. And so huh. every dollar that, that year in and year out flows into that channel, it goes disproportionately to, to Amazon. Uh, but increasingly with Gen Z, those dollars are now flowing more to social commerce. So that's the, the kind of 
growth uh, vector to start looking at because they do shop differently. Um, they are very comfortable Amazon shoppers as well, but 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 they are looking to TikTok and other social channels for inspiration and are more likely to convert in in those environments than other cohorts. So increasingly, it's, it's think of mobile as like not the huge sales driver today. And I think that's maybe why it's gotten a little bit ignored by some retailers in the past, but that's where a lot of your leverage is. And so you need to be aligned with that channel's growth. So I have a couple of follow-ups in on this on this point since we're talking about mobile and, and social commerce. So the first question I have for, for you first, Andrew, should every retailer have a mobile app? Reasons? Every retailer of any reasonable size should. The mobile web experience to me is every bit as good at this point as apps. I don't think you need... Mm-hmm. Retailers probably overinvested in all the bells and whistles and things in apps that you don't really need. The main feature there from a retailer perspective is loyalty app, loyalty membership integration. But aside from that, um, I would say like you could just have your a good mobile website skinned by an app, but it's about being present on the phone. And so get people to download your app. And the miss from retailer standpoint, in, in my opinion, is that they haven't marketed their apps well enough. I think they should really like hit consumers over the head with a hammer. Say, here's our app. Here's why it's good to download the app. Like these are the clear benefits. And then give them an incentive to transact on that app the first time. Get them over that transaction hurdle because that is going to pay a lot of dividends downstream and into the future. And, and I think that retailers just, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but they have not tried hard enough to get apps downloaded onto phones. Yeah. And, and maybe two other thoughts I have. I want to get your feelings on this in, in mobile apps. So one, larger larger retailers with a big store fleet, should they have a special in-store mode, right? And should they be investing in having unique capabilities in their app for when you are shopping in-store versus a digital channel uh, is one thing. And then I'm curious what you think, particularly in this holiday season, of retailers trying to kind of you leverage the concept of a flash sale or special drops that maybe they only channel through an app to, as, as a means to encourage people to be to have that app on their phone. Yeah, the most successful apps going back to the early days of retail apps taking off had been ones that integrate with the in-store shopping experience. So, and, and it was really about digital couponing with tar- Target Cartwheel was the, really the first brick and mortar app that took off. Then Walmart instituted Savings Catcher and that took off. That was kind of the the birth. This is going on 10 years ago now of retail apps. So could they do cooler things around exclusives? Like you can only unlock an exclusive in-store through the app or things like that. Yeah, like let's get creative. A lot of consumers are going to be low friction. I don't like taking out my my phone in a store. I like to experience the environment. I hate having my nose down when I'm engaging with the physical world, but I'm not everybody. Lots of people do it all the time. So design for those experiences for, for what people are actually looking for from an app. And let me come back to my other main, main follow-up and Roshan, I'm going to start with you on, on this one. W- what are you finding in terms of the social commerce benefit? And did, did, was anything, in, any interesting insights surface in the, in the report around, you know, sellers doing more and be more active with social commerce and how are they embracing or, or, or not embracing necessarily uh, TikTok as a driver of both inspiration, as, as Andrew mentioned earlier, but just as an overall driver for social commerce. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, there's no uh, questioning that TikTok has uh, emerged as one of the dominant uh, social channels. And so 
I think it, it very much is a function of who your customers are, right? So as a retailer, if you're catering to digital natives, Gen Z in particular, we know that TikTok presence is going to be a very key way to reach your consumers. So social media platforms are incre- like TikTok, increasingly enabling commerce directly to capture that interest rather than kind of lose folks off the platform. And so what I would say is that uh, if you have, as many consumers will, I think Gen Z and millennials headed towards 50% of wallet share by 2030, if you count your customers, which many will uh, among those, then yes, I, I would say that presence on social is, is going to be quite important. We see businesses sharing updates on new and unique products, recently restocked items, using it as a way to create hype and anticipation for new exclusive drops and special holiday events and sales. You know, but I will circle back because I, I do think that uh, the mobile app uh, point was an interesting one. You know, one of the things we saw was that the average American has 80 apps downloaded on their phones. And as we all know, unless you're very attentive, that's 80 times the number of notifications that you're likely to get. And so there's a little bit of this saturation point. And I would say that to, to Andrew's point, some of this is, is the juice worth a squeeze? Are you a large enough retailer? Do you have enough exclusive content and ambitions with that app, melding together loyalty, maybe order history, maybe couponing and, and such. But there are a lot of stores that are really heavily leveraging mobile web. Interestingly, like I'm keeping my eye on uh, marketplaces quite a bit as another way to sort of aggregate some of this into maybe fewer apps, but still have a dedicated channel for reaching consumers. And so I'd say that social absolutely remains uh, super key to reach your key consumers. And then the other channels on mobile are evolving. And I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how that shapes up. Yeah. And very, I'm very optimistic on marketplaces being able to build a community the way that large, big box, like multi-brand retailers didn't kind of skipped over that part. I think newer marketplaces being able to build community around them in a very distinctive point of view or like values that they can share. I think that there's a very good opportunity to get on that mobile phone. Um, I don't have a single notification on my phone except for Slack. <laughs> so even if you make it on my You've phone, it. I won't know. There's there's no notifications. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm probably a rarity. Uh, Casey's mastered the uh, the smartphone integration. I'm like in nothing's life. important. <laughs> Slack is important. That's it. Something's on fire. <laughs> but like as we approach this this holiday season, oh, I do have to report when we spoke before, I had never made a purchase on TikTok. I have just made my first purchase on TikTok. It has been There we go. As Andrew would say, <laughs> hit me on the head like a hammer every single time I opened the app. It was the same product. And every single woman is saying that this is amazing. And I'm like, all right, prove it. Cause I'm very, I, I'm not, I'm not sold yet, but we'll see. I'm getting nice notifications. Mm. It's on its way. We'll see how easy this is and, and whether or not these influencers are <laughs> selling me uh, a bag of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so, on the contrary of that, buy now, pay later. As we approach this holiday season, things are becoming a little bit more expensive overall. And, do you see the primary growth driver for this tool for, for cash flow management? Or does it raise concerns about potentially contributing to uh, debt 
that how are you seeing businesses strategically leveraging or addressing this aspect to enhance their performance to make sure that they're, you know, doing good, right? Celebrating is wonderful, but at the same time, there is some type of responsibility, right? Yeah, absolutely. So to your first point on how are folks uh, planning to leverage it and, and what are the tools going to offer? 77% of Americans we found are finding it harder to save with the price of products increasing. So they are looking for ways to save. And that includes buy now, pay later, which is a means of uh, budgeting. So kind of spreading a little bit of that spending out. We know 21% of consumers would consider using a buy now, pay later option specifically to help their holiday budget uh, go further. Uh, and for those that already use it, 40% of them do so primarily to help them budget and to manage money during the holidays. So Gen Z's and millennials leading the charge, they are the primary buy now, pay later users. But we're starting to see more older shoppers, interestingly, choose buy now, pay later. Uh, and what we're finding is driving that is reducing stress and working through expectations of spending on families and children during the holidays. Now, to your point, Casey, on the concerns about contributing to consumer debt. So Afterpay's platform was built specifically to empower people to use money responsibly in a safe way. And so there's protections in place. And so very different than a credit card. Right. Shoppers, when they use Afterpay, they avoid compounding interest products that allow for revolving debt. So we have safeguards like soft credit checks that set spending limits in real time. If you happen to miss a payment, the account's frozen until repayment's made, so you can't dig yourself further, right? We reward on-time payments with higher spending limits, so earning a little bit more of that headroom to encourage responsible spending. Uh, and then 5% of installments are, are paid on time. And so all of these have been core to the values of scaling up that offering. And as far as the data goes, consumers are optimistic about the holidays, but they're realistic and they don't want to blow the bank, right? Yeah. And so buy now, pay later for sure can help them budget. Uh, and businesses recognizing it, I think I mentioned earlier, one in five businesses do plan to offer buy now, pay later uh, to accommodate those consumers. Yeah, buy now, pay later. I've, it's a friction reducer to commerce in the same way credit cards have been historically. But that's to me the alternative that you look at, which is that you can Anybody can buy a little too much into the future, right? In most cases, that's going to be a small set, subset of, of the population, but you can get yourself into more trouble with compounding APR rates. And I look at it as something that helps people manage across a few different time periods of their, of their budget. It just makes it more digestible. It's like going, sometimes I'll, I'll like to go buy a giant burrito to eat for lunch, but if I try to eat it during that one sitting, it's, oh, it's not going to be. I can't handle them anymore. So if I'm smart, I'll just cut it in half, eat half for lunch, and then eat half a bit later. Nice analogy, Andrew. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> we heard it here first. <laughs> right. You got, you got to trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely relatable, right? I think we've kind of witnessed a return to normalcy especially in being able to do year-over-year -year comparisons. Despite the economic fluctuations, how are businesses adapting to differences in performance across various product categories? I feel like the pandemic had a lot of categories tanking or spiking based off of the fact that we were in a pandemic and we had supply chain issues. I feel we're pretty stable right now, looking back a year rather than trying to compile these these forecasts and insights. Looking ahead, do you feel that 2022 is the new benchmark for assessing and planning future growth strategies? 
Yeah. So this one is interesting. I would say that in terms of a return to normal, yes, but maybe a new normal. What I would say is that there were signs in 22 of normalcy for operating businesses because of some of the supply chain issues in retail. But I really think that given the, the state of things in the world today, staying close to the data is going to be super important. And just kind of comparing performance in varying time periods, especially with the seasonality of retail, starting from 22, it, it does, again, give us a, a better comparable. But looking at staying close to what's top and bottom performing, how well things sold, how the discounting strategy evolves. But just to circle back to the product categories, and, and I think I missed it earlier, Casey asked about it too. Uh, we did have some interesting findings. You saw a fifth of consumers, 20% are planning on clothing, footwear, and accessories. That's about on par with the gift cards and vouchers, also 20%. Um, and then we saw a smaller population, 10% of shoppers are really going to focus on experiences. And so entertainment, events, that also includes things like charitable donations. And so I always find the, the generational breakdown super interesting. So we found Gen Z is most likely to shop for beauty, health, and wellness. That's about 11% of them. Millennials most likely to buy electronics and tech, 21%. Gen X is headed out for clothing, footwear, and accessories, about 23% of them. And then baby boomers and post-war most likely gone for gift cards and vouchers, so 28% and 38%. You've just given up. <laughs> 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 it's hard to predict what everybody wants, right? <laughs> Too many grandkids, right? Right. Yeah, I, I think that this is maybe an aggregate, I would say, a return to normal this year where channel growth trends are back to what we had seen, give or take, pre-pandemic. Most categories are kind of back to normal, but a few slight divergences still. So apparel is kind of rebounding in a positive sense still. There's a little bit additional demand in that category that should fuel some above average gains there. Consumer electronics, as I alluded to before, people bought some of those high ticket items that you just don't buy that often and there's a longer upgrade cycle. So some of that re demand has not quite rebounded yet. The good news for consumer electronics, and by the way, consumer electronics, I think is a great category because of how much it's diversified. It used to be built around like three or four key products and now you have all these health tech products, you've got home security, smart home, all this stuff. So all of that is, is I think, really vibrant and continuing to grow. The category's full rebound will happen when, when the big items finally start to, to come back. And we saw some evidence that that may have ha actually happened during Prime Day 2. So it's a single indicator, but to me, I, it's a category where I'm looking for those green sh shoots to emerge to say, you know what, this category is really starting to turn the corner and will come back again. To me, that's actually the upside for the holiday season. So if we see a bit more of that than we had been anticipating, you might overall get a, a pretty, pretty good growth rate for the holiday season. I think it's probably more likely a 2024 thing for the category. But again, early indicators look good, which is certainly better than the alternatives. And I guess the one thing I have to ask on, on, on this one, as we came out of the pandemic, everybody, I think, got used to hearing about comps going from year over year to year over two year to trying to find that similar enough comparison. But I, I started to feel like we were getting prepared to start hearing year over three year comparisons because we just couldn't get to that normal comparison point. Do you think we're getting back to being able to rely on year over year numbers? Or are we still going to be hearing about year over two year, year over three year for a while? If you're in the electronics category, you might have to do the year over three years. 
putting that aside, I think in most categories, yeah, it, it probably starts to make sense to do those year over year comps once again. So that's, it, it's nice to be back in that reality. By next year, I feel like that's when we finally kind of hit the water level baseline, give or take for, for every yeah. category. Yeah. How, how, how do you see advertising spend evolving, particularly now that we factoring in retail media networks, the growth of marketplaces and so many other channels that we have to advertise now, particularly around streaming TV and connected TV? Are, are you seeing a shift at all this holiday season or is it still a little early for that? Yeah, I mean, look, I would say uh, just going back to that stat about Gen Zs and millennials, they're, they're headed towards 50% of retail spend by 2030. And so where they spend their time, I think, is where we're going to see advertising and marketing uh, attention uh, shift. Uh, I think retailers are definitely looking uh, for more ways to tap into that generation. Shopping apps, for sure. We've actually, on our side, been investing quite a bit in ways to help sellers more quickly and seamlessly reach all of these new destinations, whether it's automatically uh, prepping product descriptions and imagery for, for quickly selling in a bunch of different places that you might have. It's hard to keep up with, right? Because there's so many channels that are now available for both marketing and promoting products. So yeah, I would say that it's, it's absolutely follows, following uh, a generational shift. But here, yeah, I'm curious also for Andrew's take on this one. Well, so it's all over the board right now. So it's long-term trend, right? We've seen a little bit of a shift away from Facebook and Google. And social spend, right? That's going to start migrating to TikTok. So we are certainly starting to see that take off. Retail media networks and advertising on marketplaces has become a big trend. So more of that, that's kind of a given. Ricardo, you are alluding to streaming TV. Yes, there's more inventory opening up. That's a big opportunity. I don't know how many retailers or brands are ready to go full throttle. I think bigger brands and retailers are for sure. But I'm starting to look at the opportunity going forward with the mid and long tail. That's where it gets exciting. And I think we'll start to see more of that. I don't think that's going to be a big 2023 thing. That's probably a big 2024 thing. And then just getting smarter at how they leverage retailers' first-party data to, to target the right audiences, because you can really narrow cast your advertising spend to the, the right audience segments. The hurdle for a lot of those medium and long-tail brands is creative. Big opportunity in video they haven't really done video. So to the extent that they can get uh, helped on the creative to get over that hurdle, you could start to see some of those. You don't need to be multi-million dollar ad spenders. You can maybe put tens of thousands or low six-figure budgets against the opportunity. And that's when it starts to really democratize the opportunity. All else equal, streaming TV ads are going to be pricier. So I do think that any brand is going to want to be very smart and, and selective about how they do that. Last year, we had a lot with brick and mortar playing still such a significant role coming down to that customer experience. A lot more brands and, and retailers are taking more of that omni-channel approach when it comes to inventory, but also giving them an opportunity to kind of flex on experience. But last year, we had a lot of companies that were not doing the large holiday hiring and they were just expecting less people to manage more. What do you kind of see trending right now in the overall picture of staffing and how businesses are strategizing to enhance the role of physical stores for a more festive shopping journey? Yeah. So first, I'll touch on the what do we expect the experience side of this to look like. 
We know that consumer expectations are high. We already talked about the experiential focus, how a lot of retailers are trying to stand out in a sea of sameness out there. And so what we found was that 51% of Square sellers plan to host a curated holiday event this season. 36% are going to offer something exclusive to the holiday season. 18% are going to partner with another business to offer discounts or bundles to increase sales. And so here, I think it's embracing not necessarily unique by offering an entirely new assortment, but maybe by promoting certain things, by bundling things in unexpected ways, subscriptions we talked about earlier, all as ways to kind of create some some more novelty. And to en- enhance the customer and staff experience, we also found that sellers are planning to use more technology mm-hmm. uh, to streamline and automate, right? So marketing, 54% of them will be using marketing technology, 39% loyalty programs, on and on. And so what I would say that staffing is a big pain point during the holiday season. So merchants have to be strategic. They, they have to look at the technology and the ways that that can help them do more or less to meet consumers uh, and provide some of the flexibility. Um, and what's neat is that technology is not only optimizing for that efficiency, but it's addressing what consumers are telling us that they want. They want more modernization. They want more advanced ways to browse and to keep track of the purchases and so forth. One in five shoppers, in fact, stated that modern technology is making them more likely to shop at forward-thinking stores. So what's underpinning a lot of this automation, though, uh, is what we've seen and what we've heard uh, directly from retailers is it's less about, I think there's a little bit of insulation from having to scale up and down dramatically in staff. It's more about freeing up that staff to offer more uh, engagement with your shoppers if you can really embrace automation to kind of um, tackle the the heavy lifting uh, behind the scenes. Stores are still understaffed. This is a supply and demand issue. It's, I think it's the sort of thing that doesn't get resolved until people get paid more. I'm not as optimistic on automation solving a lot of issues. I think a lot of things we tried to automate create a worse customer experience and actually turn people away. Even something as simple as self-checkout is so problematic. I mean, you go, I went ahead to scan two things at a store and I scanned something and then I didn't put it in the exact right area. I put it in the bagging area. I didn't put it in a bag in the bagging area. And then, you know, you have to call over a clerk and I'm like, well, there's no clerks. It's going to take me 10 minutes to get somebody. So then I went to the next terminal and I scanned the products and then the same thing happened again. And I walked out of the store without the product and this stuff happens all the time. So I, I don't know. I think these decisions are getting made in spreadsheets and not in real life. And you're actually losing business because it turns people away from the experience. I'm not saying that automation shouldn't be done, but it needs to be done in a way that really is added additive to the experience. But at the end of the day, I think it's probably a smart investment to just pay a bit more to get staffing levels where they need to be, especially for the holiday season, because you will lose sales otherwise. Yeah. And just those bad experiences can snowball. One, what is it? Six takes you six six times as much money to like win back a customer or something like that. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the the experience has been negatively impacted with theft. So we'll see how the holiday season goes with that. I know a lot of stores have closed down, forcing more people to shop online because of the theft. I mean, I just tried to buy laundry detergent and I had to wait a half an hour after buzzing a number because like all products behind like is in jail. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to order this on Amazon and I'll do laundry (laughs) some other day. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I can definitely see both sides of that technology and the people management really have to work together in doing it together rather than one before the other. 
Well, I really thank you both for joining us today and being part of the holiday special. I can't believe how fast time has essentially run out on us. We probably could keep going for like another hour. It, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Just anything else to do today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has been a fantastic, fantastic discussion. I'm looking forward to see if all the different things we talked about, how they actually play out this holiday season. So we may have to catch up with you both post-holiday season just to see how things turned out. Sounds so good. this episode is a wrap, pun intended. That's <laughs> very festive. <laughs> so as we wrap this up, the Retail Razor Show, we're wishing our guests and listeners and our YouTube viewers a very merry holiday sales season. We hope you slay your sales targets and delight your customers with this festive season. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player or on YouTube so you don't miss a minute. And if you haven't tried Good Pods Player yet, give them a spin and follow our show. We recently hit the top of the charts in indie management and marketing podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners. If you want to know more about what we talked about today and take a look at the show notes for handy links or more deets, I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to connect with us and share your feedback, follow us and the show on Twitter at KCC Golden, Ricardo underscore Belmar, and at Retail Razor, or find us on LinkedIn. And if you want even more from us, please subscribe to our Substack newsletter for full episode transcripts and bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.